You're listening to a podcast from River City Church of Jacksonville, Florida. For more audio and video podcasts, visit rccjax.com. Thanks, dude. It's a crazy church where you can laugh about your past getting blown up. <laughs> Love that, man. Okay, let me just start off by this. Um, you know, I'm going to drop this message on you, and I'm preaching from experience, so I'm not, I'm not preaching out of theory. And I promised myself a long time ago that I would stop doing that, which means I would read scriptures and regurgitate them to you. Okay, so I want to preach to you from the experience of my own life in this and just see where that goes. Okay, so let me just pray real quick and then we'll just dive right into it. God, we love you so much. Holy Spirit, I just pray you'd bring clarity about your heart today, that you just make it so clear to us. We love you. Amen. So I have this problem, and I must confess it. Um, I often ask my wife if she thinks I'm attractive. <laughs> Doesn't everybody else do that? <laughs> I, mean, I, I mean, it's really, it's bad. I constantly need to hear from her that I'm attractive, that I'm sexy, that I'm rugged, um, because it makes me feel like a man, okay? I don't, you know, I'm not jacked anymore like I used to be. I've been going bald since I was 20, I've grown, I've, I grow face, I've grown hair on my face instead of my head to compensate. So I just need to hear this. And so I'll ask her, she'll tell me, I'll forget it. I'll ask her again, she'll tell me, I'll forget it. I'll ask her again, she'll tell me, and I'll forget it. And what happens is, usually when she tells me, right, she says, oh, Josh, you're so rugged, that sort of thing. <laughs> what? <laughs> this leads somewhere, I promise. But, you know, okay, so she tells me that, and I hold on to it, right? And so when I go the next day, you know, I mean, I can't do any wrong. You know, everywhere I go, there's disco music playing. Every shirt looks good on me, you know, that sort of thing. There's Care Bears and Rainbows around every corner. I go to work, and I'm just like, I'm getting stuff done, taking names, handing out $100 bills, the whole deal. It's crazy. I walk in, like, extreme confidence when my wife, Holly Franklin, says, Josh, you're so rugged. I do. <laughs> But what happens is, like clockwork, you know, I, it, it erodes from my mind, and I forget it. I forget that she told me I'm rugged, and then I look good. And so what happens is, it actually, it changes the way kind of I walk throughout the day. It even changes the way I treat her as I forget that she said that about me. It's insane. It's terribly frustrating to her. And fortunate for me, we're married, so she's stuck in the deal, and we have to repeat the cycle. But... <laughs> But what I've noticed, though, is it really does, like, as I forget this truth about myself, <laughs> that, that because she said it about, says it about me, I, it changes the way I, I live for some reason. It really does. I've even noticed this about, um, I don't know if you can relate to this, too, but, like, about potential. Like, I'm 32 years old now. People don't tell me you have lots of potential anymore for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> That's not, you know, I mean, you're not, you're not old till you're 90, okay? How about that? I think I, everybody's safe in here. Huh? Yeah. Well, anyways, when I don't hear it, I feel like I don't have it anymore. And so then again, it changes the way, you know, I'll walk. It changes the way I work. Like I'm never going to I'm never going to move up. I'm never going to lead anything. Nobody thinks I, you know, I have any potential to do anything. So the value that that I have on myself erodes, it goes away and what it does, which is crazy, I mean it it almost like inhibits me from taking risks. It it causes me to not do things I normally would do just because people aren't telling me I have potential. Isn't that insane? It's almost, if, it's almost as if uh, belief 
And unbelief have like this, this very real power over us, like in how we see ourselves and, and also in how we live. So it, 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 it's almost as if action and belief are tied together. So I don't know if you agree with this, but um, the way in which I act may be driven by the way in which I think. I don't know. Could that be true? I mean, you know, I'm rugged. I walk ruggedly. I forget I'm rugged. I cower. <laughs> It's, it's insane. Take a look at this, this slide. And look at this word, theology, the dirty T word, right? What does that do when you see that? What perspectives rise up in your mind when you see that? Is it scary? Does it intimidate you? Huh? Do you just, do you automatically think like some sort of religious dogma or something like that? Go to the next slide. Did you know it only means system of belief? That's all it means. You know what that means? It's just the way we think about things. That's it. That's all. But why does that matter? It seems to me like, like the way we think about things can oftentimes shape the way we live. And so when I say live, I mean uh, experiences. I mean how we, we, we live in the experiences of each moment in life, how we feel, how we have emotions within them, Right? C.S. Lewis, next slide, he says something really interesting. I like this man. He smokes, smokes pipes, does theology. It's my, it's my dude, and he's dead. C.S. Lewis writes, <laughs> theology means the science of God. So he's connecting theology now to our faith, right? Theology means the science of God. And I think any man who wants to think about God at all would like to have the clearest and most accurate ideas about him which are available, that's not necessarily that profound. Sorry, C.S. Lewis, with all due respect. It's not that scary either. It makes sense to me. Because what I've seen in my life and other people's lives is when our ideas about who God is and what his heart is filled with towards us is confused or is distracting or is unclear, I mean, it shapes the way we approach him. It shapes the way we receive love from him. So there must be some sort of practical value in having clear ideas about who God is. Would you agree? Yeah, I don't know what I'm talking about. Give me an amen right on. You guys are awake. So that must mean that clarity about who God is and what his heart is towards us can bring freedom. It can open the door to healing and calling, right? This is good stuff, man. So confusion about God brings frustration in life and it brings misdirection. How do I know? I've experienced it. 100%. Next slide. Paul wrote in his letter to the Colossians. I love this. I, I like using pictures so you see, like, this is the guy that wrote it. <laughs> Throwing images at you. So he writes to the Colossians, set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Did you know the word set means to seek? Not just think. Now, I know that our thoughts can have a great deal of power and influence in our lives. They really can. But there's another theologian, if you go to the next slide, and you guys know who this guy is, Brian Baggs. You've heard him <laughs> preach here. <laughs> See, he once was rugged. He was. <laughs> Brian, it's right there. Brian says, the mind makes a great servant, but it doesn't make a good master. I agree, so I'm not here telling you that it makes a good master, okay? I want to point you to Jesus. But I just want to let you know 
that thoughts are powerful, though. The way we, ha- way we think about things are powerful. The ideas we have about God are powerful, right? One example is that of this is that some of us think about sin a lot, our own sin. And we live in that place. We roll around in our poo. And we stay there. But, but the reality is it's not ours to own. We don't have to live there. But we think about it constantly and constantly and constantly. So I don't think Paul is simply telling us to think correctly. Mm-mm, I don't. Is that distracting you, Fabio or Brian? You can go to the next slide, Jonathan. Sorry. <laughs> I don't think uh, I don't think Paul's telling us to think correctly. Okay. I think that what he's saying is that thinking and seeking can be one and the same. Okay, thinking and seeking. Right. So some of us think to seek. Others of us think to think, and some of us don't think at all, right? I'm not saying either one's a bad thing. I'm just saying, if you're wanting to find truth, it's not enough to just think about it. If you don't think about it, it's really hard to find it. But seeking, it's a different thing. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom of God, right? What's the kingdom of God? The scripture says the kingdom is filled with righteousness, joy, and peace. Where is that found? Jesus. Why do I know that? Because he walked around saying, Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. The kingdom is found in him. C.S. Lewis writes, doctrines are not God. They are only a kind of map. And doctrines is just a fancy word for teachings. Okay? So it's not meant to be worshipped, but it's not meant to be discarded either. What it does is it helps us find the truth that's hidden in the field, right? Jesus gives a parable about the kingdom being a pearl in the field. And when you find it, you sell everything you own to buy the field because you know that the truth of all existence is found in that field, right? Things that free you. This is good. Truth is so good, and I love it. And the reason I love it so much is because it's held me up, because it comes from God and it's found in Jesus. I love it so much. So when we talk about this in relation to the Bible and God, it means teachings about who God is that are intended to free us, right, from perspectives and belief sets about him that actually hurt us. You catch that? Let me say that one more time. So when we talk about this, teachings, teachings of truth, ones that are clear about who God is are meant to free us from ones that aren't clear about who God is. Got it? It's so good when it happens, though. We, this is when Brian talked a few weeks about, ago about living from God. We live from this place, not a place of confusion, but a place of clarity, right? So it's pretty important to know, too, that our perspectives and belief sets, they can be shaped by our experiences. They really can. They can be perverted. They can be altered, right? So I, I really do believe that our experience with love on earth with other people can oftentimes shape our view of who God is. You agree? Yeah. That's how powerful it can be. That's why, that's why we're told in the scriptures by Paul and Jesus to walk in the spirit. So that the expression of God's love is made known to the fullest extent possible. Because it can hurt people. It's hurt me before. I've heard other stories. It's hurt other people before. And I, 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 I'll get into that. I'll get really mad about that stuff, but I'll stop here. So Holy Spirit wants to shape our view of God by experiences and encounters with God's love and goodness. Right? God is good all the time. Okay? If we can't receive love, then we can't give love. And if we can't give love, then we can't live love. Does that make sense? So confusion inhibits us from receiving the love of God, the goodness of God, coming to his altar of worship and praise, consummating that praise and joy. Does that make sense? 
So doctrines or teachings are meant to aid the process. Okay, they're, just, they're meant to assist us in growing in encounters with his love, the truth about his love. So it enriches our experiences by reminding us about the truth of his love. So it, it enhances them. It brings affirmation of truth. It sustains us in them. The Gospel of Luke says that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with both God and man. Isn't that interesting? I remember Tom talking about that several months ago. It's interesting. Jesus increased in wisdom, so why wouldn't we? There must be something beautifully cosmic about that, something very necessary to human beings about that, something very real about needing to do that and walk in that and pursue that so that we can better experience and encounter and understand his love, the truth about it. So Jesus was seeking, not just thinking. So what do you think about this? Throw this up on there. Jesus is perfect theology. Is it too lofty? Is it scary? I mean, what do you think? Is it irrelevant? Do I ask too many questions? I do. I know. This is who I am. What do you think? So when I put something on here like that, here's here's what I'm trying to say. And I believe this. I've experienced it. I try to live from it. This is a Franklin family doctrine. We try to live from this in our household. And I'll tell you why, and I'll give you an illustration of it in a little bit here, in a few minutes. But when I say something like this on the screen, okay, I'm saying the truth about God is found in Jesus. Seriously. And when I say truth, I mean truth. You know what I'm saying? Like, like the pillar that holds up our lives. That sort of deal. Right? In the Gospel of John, like the author of John's writing to a Greek audience and a Jewish audience too, but he's using like all these Greek philosophical terms, okay, to just contextualize this message of who Jesus is. And he calls Jesus the Word made flesh. And the word means logos. This Greek term that means the, the force, the being that holds all things together. So he's just trying to make known that all things are found in this man, Jesus. He is God. So the way to think about God most clearly is found in Jesus, this is what I love about this this piece of the talk, okay? Because I'm not telling you how to think about God. I'm just telling you that if you want to think as clear as you possibly can about who he is and what his heart is filled with towards you, go to Jesus. Don't go to Josh. Don't go to Antley. Don't go to Brian. Don't go to the denomination. Just go to Jesus. Seriously. The disciples did. It took them a while, but that's okay. We're human. But go to him. All things are found in him. So when I say truth about all this stuff, the truth about who God is, I mean in the most absolute sense. Okay, so for example, if you're uncertain about what feels the heart of God for you, then you should be able to go to Jesus and find that out. And I love that I can say that with massive certainty. I don't doubt it. I'm not throwing theories at you. You should be able to go to Jesus and find that out if he is God. Right? So uncertainty about his love can be so devastating. Can it not? When I doubt that he loves me, when I doubt his heart is good, life is terribly difficult. Now, when I believe that his heart is good, that doesn't change the difficulty of life, but it changes my response within it. Do you know what I'm saying here? Uncertainty is so bad. But this is why the action of the cross is so good. This is why we harp on this stuff here at this church. We talk about God's love so much. It's Antley's mission to make sure people encounter and experience it. Why? Because it brings certainty about God's heart towards you. 
you understand that? It's so, so good. We walk in that. And then we preach it. And then we dispense of it. Do you know? Because when we preach other things that aren't true about God's heart, it hurts people. You know, me and my wife lost a child, a baby, two years ago. And you would not believe all of the crazy stuff that was said to us. To my wife, it hurt her terribly. Okay, now I'm going into testimony experience time, and I'm sorry. But, I mean, this, is, this stuff is so real. I'm not just throwing theories at you. I'm not just throwing theology itself. Okay, I'm talking to you about something that's so practical. And it can be so hurtful when we don't walk in the truth of who God is and preach that. We all have been called to preach the gospel in both word and deed. Making known the heart of the Father to people so that they may encounter it and experience it and walk in it and then replicate it. Because it's good. So the scriptures warn us against this all the time about bad theology, about bad understanding, about people that claim to know who God is and what he's saying and all this kind of stuff. We say all kinds of weird bad things because it's so hurtful to people. right? It messes around with our belief. A belief about ourselves. Remember the examples, the illustrations that changes the way you live? Right? And it's interesting that Jesus talks about belief a lot, but not in the sense that it's just believing in just his mere existence, that sort of thing. It's this different kind of belief that's rooted in seeking, you know, and not thinking. It's a different kind of belief. Now, you're going to walk out of here and be like, this guy told me that belief's not about belief. Hey, just chew on this when you leave. It's not a belief that's rooted in thinking. It's a belief that's rooted in seeking, which is different. Go look at what Jesus said. He said all kinds of weird cosmic stuff. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. You just sit there and just, you know, marinate on it. He said some massive things, which makes sense because he's God. Right? Check out this. Check out this. Look at, look at what he says in this one. So this is just towards the end uh, of his days. Here he's getting all the disciples ready, and so he gets into this exchange with disciples, in, in particular Thomas. He says, Jesus says in verse 4, And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth. And the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. What? You do know him and have seen him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. All things are held together in me. Come to me if you need the answers. If you have doubts, if you're wondering about truth, if you want to seek first the kingdom, it's all found in me. What the heck? Are you kidding me? Jesus is perfect theology. Next slide. Jesus is perfect theology. If you want the clearest ideas about who God is, look at Jesus, right? If you want to know the truth about God, then look to Jesus. If you want to know who God is, then look to Jesus. If you want to know how to live with God, then look to Jesus. If you want to know the heart of the Father, then look to Jesus. If you want to know what the love of God can look like in your life, go to Jesus. Yes, I love preaching Jesus, man. If you want to know what God looks like, when, then look at Jesus. If you want to know what God thinks, then just sit under Jesus. And I'm not saying do it devoid of the Spirit. Holy Spirit will enlighten who Jesus is to us. And I'll show you an illustration of this in a second. So when I say if you want to know, I mean if you want to know with absolute certainty. And yes, I'm telling you, you can know the love of God with absolute certainty because of Jesus. Right? This is why the Gospels are referred to as the good news. Okay? They reveal who Jesus is. They really do. Jesus is the perfect expression of God's love towards you. He's God's heart revealed. Do you believe that? It's true, man. I never need to doubt God's love 
in any circumstance. The cross will not let me. It just will not. Hebrews, I don't have the scripture. Hebrews says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. God completely understands the human condition. How do I know this? How can you say that, Josh? Jesus. Seriously. The cross is only powerful because he's on it. This is so good. Jesus is on it, making known the heart of the Father. He really is. This is why, you know, it it hit me, it occurred to me that that this is why Paul talks about it's good to be reminded of what Jesus did on the cross. It's so good because we're being reminded of God's goodness, his grace, his mercy, right, and his heart because it makes known for certain. So it's not a static, well, it is a static truth in that it doesn't change. But it shouldn't be a static truth in that it doesn't ever change us. Does that make sense? So that truth never changes, but that truth should change us. So I, again, this isn't, this isn't about a mere belief in Jesus' existence. This is about Jesus being truth itself. Can you flash that up on the screen real quick, Jonathan? Truth. I love that. When I see that, I think Jesus. I love that. The disciples had experiences that affirmed all of the truth that they were taught, right? It fueled their faith and it compelled them to write crazy stuff and do crazy stuff. It'd be filled with this insane, weird, mysterious, out-of-this-planet love. Now, it happened, ironically enough, after Jesus left. They were unshakable and steadfast in God's love. So when I see them, when I look at them, it seems to me like their circumstances never mattered after he left. It never mattered because they knew it didn't change anything about who they knew God to be because they met him. They met him. They were in the presence of truth itself. They, did, they didn't care about dying. They didn't care about that stuff. I mean, that should generate questions within us. Why did they not care about that stuff? Why did it not matter? Why did it not matter to Paul whether he was rich or poor? Why? They believed everything Jesus said and revealed about the Father. It's crazy. So my salvation in Jesus is the beginning of all things being made new in my life, including up here. Dr. Seuss calls this our puzzler. (laughs) He does. So this, this is a place, this certainty about God's heart and his love towards us. This is a place from which we can live, okay, because Jesus gives us absolute certainty, about who God is and what his heart is filled with towards us and towards people and towards himself. This is one of the main themes in the Gospel of John. John is telling them that Jesus is the Father revealed. Really? Let me show you a quick story. So we lost a baby a few years ago. <clears throat> so what happened is we found out early in the pregnancy, the baby, her name was Adelina, and uh, she had an anomaly, okay? And so the anomaly was basically... She developed about 95% perfectly, and then the rest of the 5% uh, did not. And the 5% is up here. So the top of her head didn't form, and her brain didn't fully form, okay? So we found that out, first trimester or something like that. And uh, they caught it on a sonogram, you know, and she was fine, kicking around, doing the whole deal. She was alive. You know, they asked us, you know, would you like to abort, all that sort of deal. No, this, this not, we're not doing that. She's alive. So, so Holly carried her for the rest of the nine months. You know, we were told these babies don't live 
They don't survive the whole deal. Okay? Like, that's the truth. She's going to die. That's what it is. Uh, but as she was in the womb, I mean, she was a normal little baby. Kicking, turning. I saw her do the flip thing with, where the belly goes up. That whole deal. Right? And so uh, we go on. And then the, in that time, we, we found ourselves at this church. Okay? And you guys surrounded us. We didn't really know you. You were crazy. You prayed for us. You, we had all kinds of prayer sessions for us. It was a great, beautiful thing. I mean, I was confident that she had been healed, the whole deal. Okay, so fast forward to the hospital room, the day of delivery, you know, and I'm just super confident, even though we just had a, a, a scan right before that just to check, you know, she still hadn't been healed. But, you know, I, I don't know, man. You know, usually I'm the glass half empty guy and my wife's the glass half full, but uh, things have switched. But I just, you know, no, I said, you know, she's going to be healed. She's healed. You know, we've prayed. We've declared this stuff, man. We, we, had, we have faith. We believe, all that kind of stuff. So I was just confident in it. But um, so that, the, the last sonogram threw a loop in that whole deal. And then we're in the hospital. The labor's taking longer than it usually does. And Holly's a trooper, man. She, you know, she does this stuff eating beef jerky and, and no, uh, no drugs or anything. You know, she's like, she just, that's what she does. <laughs> she's tough. She's having babies eating beef jerky, right? <laughs> Crap. That's recorded, isn't it? <laughs> All right. I won't say that in the next service, though. <clears throat> Ed, use the second talk for the website. Okay. Anyways, so my wife's tough, right? But the labor was taking a really long time. I mean, we're 20 hours in this deal, and it's like what they call, you know, like the, the real deal labor. And, you know, she hadn't drugged up or anything yet, you know. And, and so she's just, I mean, she's wearing out. And the baby's breached, too. And my wife's so tough, she wants to have a breached baby. That's when they come out with their butt first. That, I mean, that's not easy. Okay, so she's trying to tough this out, and, uh, you know, I want to support her in that. You know, if she wants to tough it out, I'm right there. You can punch me and hold my hand, and I'll give you the beef jerky and all that kind of stuff. But it's not going anywhere. And so I'm getting a little nervous because things just, this isn't how our births go, you know. And so I'm like, man, what in the world's going on? So something's happening, you know. And so we do all these different deals, and she gets an epidural, and then her blood pressure drops tremendously. Like, this just uh, this doesn't happen in our births. So everything's going off. So I'm thinking, man, something's wrong, man. She might not be healed. So we get to pushing, and, uh, you know, it's a very suspenseful moment. Like, literally, I can tell you, I truly believe, like, I think she's going to come out whole. I really do. The doctor thought we were insane. I mean, a lot of people thought we were, were silly for it. So she comes out, and, you know, she's not whole. First thing I see is that um, I see her head, you know, and I lose it. My wife is stunned. You know, a lot of people tell me this would be the most peaceful moment of my life. It wasn't. It was not a peaceful moment. I could hear the scurry of people in the room in the background shifting things around. And I felt so embarrassed because it was so, like, sterile. Like, they didn't, they were connected to this. And here I am breaking down. And and we believed that our baby would be healed. And they told us the whole time she would be, she would die and all this kind of stuff. So she comes out and then somehow she makes it onto me. So I'm holding her, you know, my lifeless child. In, uh, in my hands, it was a very surreal moment because I could see, I could see her little face, you know, underneath the cloth. Her little hand was on my chest. I could see her little feet, and so all I could do in that moment was just kind of rock her. And so in that moment, accusations come. What are you going to believe, Josh? So accusations come towards God. He forgot about you. In the moment, this stuff starts flowing in. This ain't Care Bears and Rainbow stuff, man. This is real life. What are you going to believe? What are you going to hold fast to? 
right? And so all I knew to do was rock her and say the name of Jesus. And it's weird how Holy Spirit does that. Like, he brings Jesus' name. Like, there wasn't any gold dust, you know, nothing. I mean, there wasn't anything spectacular. Just the name of Jesus, and I had this massive reminder about God's heart towards me, that this isn't from him. God is good all the time. So the Franklins believe this now. God is always good. Always. Always. And I bathed her, and that was a weird moment, you know. And it was really difficult, man, to believe that, to hold fast to that. But I'm telling you, it's true. And the reason I know it to be true is because of Jesus. It held us up. Now, we didn't walk out of that hospital. I mean, there were, there were so many more terrible moments after that. I mean, there really were. But we walked out of there, and we knew, even though we were wavering in belief, we were just going to hold fast to this because we know Jesus. And the heart of the Father is revealed in him, wholly and fully and completely and perfectly. And so I'm going to hold on to that, even though my experience is trying to distract me and confuse me and destroy me. But I know I know, in Colossians, it tells me all the things, the great wisdoms and mysteries are hidden in Jesus. It tells me that. Jesus himself told me, he's the truth, the life, and the way. So I know the treasures of God's heart can be found in Jesus, and I have to hold on to that. So what was meant to destroy me actually compelled me to consider more deeply the depths of God's love. I didn't didn't consider it perfectly. Doubts rolled in, but his love didn't change. It did not. I promise you it didn't. And what happened is it actually began to sustain me, and it sustained my wife. It, I mean, it's just crazy. I mean, we're still, I'm up here preaching to you. I was so worried that Holly was going to commit suicide after that. I'd heard stories about women losing it, having nervous breakdowns. But let me conclude with this. When his love is a sustaining truth in our life, it produces and protects. It produces fruit in our minds, hearts, and experiences, and it protects us from the experiences that are meant to destroy us or even refine us. It really does, man. It really does. And I know some of you feel as if you're paralyzed by your circumstances right now. You're confused as about who God is and what his heart is. I want to compel you to look to Jesus. Jesus is perfect theology. He is. He will give you the clearest ideas of who God is and what his heart is towards you. I promise Let me pray. God, we love you so much. And I love you that you've made known for all time that you love us and that you've addressed sin and that you've taken it from us. And I believe it and I love it. And I just pray you would help us to receive it in just massive waves today, that it would be freeing to us, free us in our minds from confusion and distraction about who you are and what your love is and what fills your heart towards us. Please free us, Holy Spirit. Free us. It's so good. Your truth is so good. Jesus, you are so good. We love you, Lord. Please bring us freedom, Holy Spirit. Help us with our own belief. Help us to just believe that you love us. You're so good, God. Amen.